Welcome to the Insomnia Coach Podcast. My name is Martin Reed. I believe that nobody needs to live with chronic insomnia and that evidence-based cognitive and behavioral techniques can help you enjoy better sleep for the rest of your life. The content of this podcast is provided for informational and educational purposes only. It's not medical advice and is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure or prevent any disease, disorder or medical condition. It should never replace any advice given to you by your physician or any other licensed healthcare provider. Insomnia Coach LLC offers coaching services only and does not provide therapy, counselling, medical advice or medical treatment. The statements and opinions expressed by guests are their own and are not necessarily endorsed by Insomnia Coach LLC. All content is provided as is and without warranties, either express or implied. Jennifer's issues with sleep began 18 years ago when she started to wean her firstborn from breastfeeding. When Jennifer fell pregnant again, things got better until it was time to wean her second child. As the mother of five children, Jennifer went through this cycle for a long time. And when she decided that she was done having children, she started to get really nervous about sleep. Jennifer tried lots of different things in an attempt to get rid of her insomnia. She tried different foods. She experimented with supplements. She tried medication. She tried alcohol. Fortunately, Jennifer recognized that her body wasn't missing any vital vitamin, mineral, or chemical, and that a hormone imbalance wasn't to blame for her ongoing issues with sleep. After listening to a few episodes of the Insomnia Coach podcast, Jennifer felt that it was her belief system that was the real reason why she was enduring an endless struggle with sleep. At this point, she felt ready to implement some changes that would lead to new habits and a new relationship with her thoughts and beliefs that would help create better conditions for sleep. When Jennifer started to feel a strong sense of sleepiness again, rather than ongoing fatigue and brain fog, and learned from experience that sleeping pills weren't doing anything for her, she felt confident she was on the right track. Ultimately, Jennifer regained confidence in her natural ability to sleep after learning that she wasn't alone and that other people were experiencing insomnia in a similar way to her. And by making changes to her behaviors and the relationship she had with her thoughts, it was these changes that helped create better conditions for sleep and helped Jennifer put chronic insomnia behind her. A full transcript of this podcast can be found at insomniacoach.com forward slash podcast. Hi, Jennifer. Thank you so much for taking some time out of your day to come onto the podcast. Yeah, you're welcome. Happy to be here. It's great to have you on and I'm really excited for our conversation, which I'm just going to start right at the beginning like I always do. If you could just tell us um, when your problems with sleep began and what you think might have caused those initial issues with sleep. So I had problems when I was weaning my firstborn from breastfeeding. He is 18 now. And um, so I struggled with it for quite a while. 
and I had gone to the doctor and they had suggested some Benadryl and I tied it to the weaning and it really didn't get better until I got pregnant six months later with my second child. Mm. And I have five children. So I cycled through this for 11 or 12 years. And when we were finished having children, I really struggled with it and was convinced that I had some sort of hormone imbalance or hormone problem that was leading to it because Mm. I would sleep well for the duration of the pregnancy and the um, breastfeeding part, but it was always that weaning that triggered it. Wow. So I'm guessing that a workable solution for you wasn't to just keep having more and more and more and more kids. Right. By the time (laughs) I had my last one at 40, it just wasn't going to be an option. And that's when I really started to get a lot more nervous about it. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. So what what were the nights like when you were struggling with sleep? Maybe you could just kind of describe what an average or a, a typical night was like when you were going through that struggle. Sure. I would wail, uh, I would lay awake there mm. for a while, an hour or two. And in the early days, I would get up and take a little swig of NyQuil and mm. then go to sleep. Or I would go to sleep on the couch and then I wouldn't be able to sleep in my bed. And then um, I would wake up in the middle of the night and then not be able to go back to sleep. And then I would just get more frustrated and more anxious about it. Yeah. So you mentioned that at the time you you felt maybe it was hormonal related, you know, because Mm -hmm. it tended to crop up when when you were weaning. Um, Mm -hmm. When you were struggling with that wakefulness during the night um do you feel like it was really hard to fall asleep because maybe there was a hormonal issue or do you think that there was some something else at play maybe like your your mind was racing or there were some thoughts that you were really struggling with uh my mind wasn't really racing until i got very anxious about it Hmm. so i had convinced myself that it was a, a hormonal problem. And then when I thought about that more, that's when I would get more anxious, but it wasn't really about stress or anything going on during the day. It was more about what my internal beliefs were about what was causing the problem because it was just so consistent through all five of the babies that I had. Yeah. So what what do you feel it was about this idea of struggling with sleep or just experiencing long periods of wakefulness during the night that maybe created some anxiety and maybe fed into this, this insomnia and this prolonged period, these prolonged periods of wakefulness? I was always worried about how I was going to function the next day, mm. especially the more kids I have and the um, uh, job that I have as well, wanted to be able to, to function for work. And so it would get really hard. And so I would end up just laying there trying to rest the best that I could and not get so angry about it. Yeah, I I think a lot of people are going to identify with that. I think one of the biggest concerns, if not the biggest concern when I'm working with clients is how we're going to function the next day. And that concern really is at the root of so much of the anxiety and in turn it almost becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy in terms of 
because we're worried about what the next day will be like. Maybe we're putting more pressure on ourselves to sleep. We're, we're putting a lot of effort into sleep, a lot of monitoring for sleep. And that in itself makes sleep more difficult. And then because sleep has become so much of a focus, it can also make the days more difficult, even if we do actually have quite an okay night or a decent night, because it's just something that we're always thinking about, always worried about. Okay, maybe last night was good, but what's the next night going to bring? And it really does just kind of feed into itself and just becomes this kind of vicious cycle of worry and sleep disruption. Um, Does that sound like something familiar to you? Yeah, definitely. I remember nights where I would wake up early and not be able to go back to sleep. And then I would start craving sleep for the next night like Mm -hmm. I would just say okay I'll make it up tomorrow night and then my husband has always been a great sleeper and so I would get so angry at him as he just laid there sleeping and I'm thinking god he's such a show-off this isn't fair (laughs) you know that's it's really funny I think um there's another podcast episode where I had someone say virtually the exact same thing as you and it seems strange because even when I'm working with clients it seems like the partners that people with insomnia end up with are kind of like the world's best sleepers. It's like, it's just a really strange uh, observation that I've made over the years. Yeah, that definitely applies to me. He can sleep anywhere. (laughs) Yeah. You know, just leading on from that, I think that, um, I think there may even be a silver lining to that because I think a common question that we have when we've been struggling with sleep for a long time is, what do I do to make sleep happen? You know, what, what, can, what do I think about when I get into bed or what, what, what can I do to, to fall asleep? And if we have a part, if we have a partner that sleeps really well, you know, maybe we'll ask that person. And then what tends to happen is we kind of get that blank stare back, you know, um, I, I don't, I don't know what I do to make sleep happen. I just get into bed and then I sleep. Did you, did you ever have that that conversation with your husband? Absolutely. Yes, definitely. He didn't understand that. Yeah. So, but sometimes I think that can be really helpful because maybe it provides us with a little bit of evidence that all these efforts and these completely justifiable concerns about sleep and this strong desire for sleep and this striving for sleep, maybe that's, contributing to the problem because if we have a partner who sleeps really well and they have no clue what they're doing to make sleep happen maybe that suggests that if we get to that place where we can maybe abandon all these efforts abandon all this striving maybe we'll be like our partner and sleep well and not even give sleep a second thought right i have a tendency to overanalyze a problem and then try a bunch of different solutions for it and I'll do that until I find one that works. And really what worked was doing the opposite of that, which didn't make any sense, but, but it's true. Once I didn't care about it anymore, then it seemed to go a lot better. Yeah. And and I think it's completely understandable, complete. It makes complete sense why we would look for a solution, you know, because whenever we have a problem in our life, we want to look for a solution. So that's completely understandable. Um, And, our just our natural inclination to put effort into a problem. So if sleep is a problem, we want to put effort into it to fix it. Everything in life responds really well to effort, right? But sleep is kind of that outlier. Um, and I think this is where we can so easily get caught up because our whole life experience associates effort with good outcomes. So we do the same thing when we struggle with sleep. 
But the problem is with sleep is the more effort we put into it, uh, the more striving, the more desire, the more difficult it becomes. We kind of make conditions more difficult for sleep to occur. And that's, that's kind of where we can get trapped because then we start to really, we can really start to worry that something is uniquely wrong with us. Maybe we've lost our ability to sleep or there's something really seriously wrong with our, with our ability to sleep or our sleep systems. Um, so I think it's worth pointing out that it's understandable why we're putting effort into sleep. And if we've found that sleep hasn't responded to that effort, again, that is normal and to be expected. Yeah, that was my experience. Yeah. So you touched upon, you were kind of using that NyQuil every now and then to, to try and generate some sleep. What kind of other things did you tried um, in an attempt to get more sleep that looking back perhaps didn't prove to be that helpful? Uh, I tried Benadryl and I would get so sleepy with that during the day. And mm. then uh, it progressed from there to some of the prescription sleeping pills, several different types of those. And then I'd try uh, beer and then no alcohol and then exercise and um, melatonin and yeah. magnesium and black cohosh and herbs. And I'd go to the natural food store and try to figure out what I needed, what my body was lacking or had too much of to, to try to get that balance. And it, it didn't matter. That wasn't the problem. I think the real problem was the belief system and believing that there was a bigger problem than what there really was. Yeah. You know, did you ever find that that search for the solution, you know, whether it's all these different supplements or medications on reflection, maybe that was kind of feeding into this concern and this worry and this focus on sleep. Oh, absolutely. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I, the reason I asked that question is because I think it's something that so many people listening to this are going to identify with. Um, and again, it goes back to that natural inclination and that completely understandable desire we have to fix a problem. Um, but the trouble with chronic insomnia is it's not really caused by a mineral deficiency or a vitamin deficiency or hormonal deficiency or, or, or but yet we can get really caught up in believing that or trying these different supplements, these different experiments. And soon we can even find ourselves maybe thinking less about sleep and thinking more about, okay, what's the next experiment to try? What's the next ritual I can try? What's, what's the next, the next thing, the next X, Y, or Z. Right, And then you pour over the internet and then try to Google solutions. And, and it just made it so much worse for me as I, as I got older. And then, and then I, got closer to perimenopause and then I thought oh my god it's going to get worse it's going to get worse and and then I'll be menopausal and then I'll never sleep for the rest of my life and yeah. so it, it would build on the anxiety and then the anxiety would would make it so much worse and then finally I just had to make a, a decision make a decision to to figure it out yeah. So, so let's talk about that. So you mm -hmm. found out about these cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, these CBTI techniques that I talk right. about. And I had talked to my doctor about it and yeah. uh, she was always willing to refill these sleeping pills. And I kind of wish she wouldn't, but I 
felt dependent on them until I was mm-hmm. ready. And I had listened to a couple of your podcasts, um, but she had mentioned a few of the techniques like getting out of bed and um, not making the bed um, a place where you lay awake and get angry, things like that. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought, you know, I want to, I want to sleep. I don't want to get out of bed. I want right. to get better. And it wasn't until I listened to a couple of your podcasts and thought, I could have done that podcast or I can relate to this girl or I can, um, I tried these different things that this person tried. And then after I had listened to two or three of them, then I knew that I could change my beliefs about it. And once I did that, that's when everything started to work. Once I committed to um, the techniques and believed that that they were going to work. And I think once I stopped believing that there was a big problem with Mm -hmm. my hormones or with minerals or with um, my chemical composition, that's when things started to get so much better. Yeah. So it sounds like you, you, you were already familiar with a couple of the techniques, uh, these couple Mm -hmm. of these CBTI techniques. Um, but it wasn't until you really heard real life examples of people using them and discussing and talking about their experience with them, that you've had that confidence maybe to, to really go all in and give them a try yourself. Is that right? right? Yeah, absolutely. There was a nurse on the podcast that I listened to maybe about a year and a half ago. And then Mm -hmm. there was a pediatrician and, and I related so much to those two women. And once I heard those, then that's when things changed. And I knew that I could get better without having to take anything to go to sleep. Yeah. So what kind of techniques did you, did you end up implementing? I think you just Mm -hmm. touched upon this, this idea of getting out of bed when being in bed doesn't feel good. Another core component of, of these techniques involves allotting a more appropriate amount of time for sleep, you know, spending a, an amount of time in bed that's similar to the kind of sleep that you're currently getting. Were, were they the kind of techniques that you were implementing? Right. Yeah. So when the pandemic started and my work shut down, I thought this is a perfect time. And that was when I had become very scared about this for the rest of my life. Yeah. And when that happened, I thought, if I don't do it now, I'm not going to do it ever, Mm. probably. So now that I don't have to worry about getting out of bed at a certain time or having this not work, I can really focus on it. Mm -hmm. And so I had a piece of paper and a pencil next to my bed where I could take notes about what time I went to sleep and what time I woke up. And then I went to the library and got some books that were interesting enough, but boring enough, like a book about grass and a book about farming and ranching where there were some interesting stories, but I really didn't have much in common with the people writing them. So I would get pretty bored reading them and I would um, go downstairs and put my headlamp on and read for a while. And then when my head would bob, I knew it was time to go back. Mm -hmm. So I wrote down the times and then figured out how long I was sleeping. And it didn't take real long. I would say maybe a week or so before I knew it would definitely work. So I think for me, it was just committing to the whole CBTI process for about a week before I really saw a substantial change where I could sleep long periods of time without having to take any sleeping aids. 
Wow, that's that's incredibly fast to get those early mm-hmm. results, you know, within a week or so. Um, what what was it? You, you mentioned that it took you know about a week for you to realize that there was some change going on. Um, what what was the symptom of that positive change? What kind of differences were you noticing? I felt sleepy. I mm-hmm. um, just felt like I I couldn't go on anymore unless I went to sleep. Um, another thing that really helped me was when I had made the decision and had a date that I was going to start implementing the techniques and sticking by all of the rules, I had gone and I bought a new bedspread and new sheets and new pillows. And I said to myself, these are going to be the sheets that I actually fall asleep on and and sleep soundly. And um, I got rid of my old bedspread and my old sheets that I had had for years and I think creating that environment was really helpful for my brain to know, okay, these are the sheets I'm going to sleep on and not have to take anything. So that was a, another big change that I made, at least for me in my bedroom, that was helpful. Yeah. Um, um, but I think the biggest thing was my belief system was changed. And after a week or so of doing the sleep deprivation thing, I, I just felt differently. Like I, I was so sleepy that I, I had to, to go to bed and sleep. And, yeah. and I think the trigger was just the, the fact that um, uh, I started believing that I didn't need to have an aid or that I had a problem. I th- I think it can be so powerful to rediscover that really strong sense of sleepiness um, mm-hmm. because in my experience, people with chronic insomnia tend not to actually have that much sleepiness, but have a ton of fatigue, you know, feeling mm-hmm. exhausted, worn out, run down. And it's really easy to confuse that with sleepiness, but there is a difference. Um, Oh, I agree very much because I was foggy brained for at least a decade and never really felt particularly well rested. And and so once I was actually sleepy, then it changed for sure. Um, I would try to go to bed early thinking that would help. and, Mm -hmm. And that certainly didn't. Yeah. And that, I think that's one of these areas where we can get caught up because when we mistake that fatigue for sleepiness, for, you know, fatigue isn't a sign that we need to sleep or that conditions are right for sleep, but sleepiness is. So w- when we get those two mixed up, um, which is quite common, even people without insomnia can mix those symptoms up. If we go to bed when we're fatigued rather than sleepy, it makes sense that we're probably not going to fall asleep because we're not sleepy enough for sleep. And then because we're not falling asleep, if we have concern about that, it's just going to heighten that concern. And then it makes conditions even more difficult for sleep to occur. So rediscovering that sense of sleepiness by maybe allotting less time for sleep or going to bed later, waiting for that really strong sense of sleepiness to appear, it can really be a breakthrough moment for many clients. And it sounds like that was that was kind of your breakthrough moment too. Yeah, it was such a relief. Yeah, absolutely. So what what other kind of, were there any other behavior before we move on to the thought side of things, were there, were there any other kind of behavioral changes? Yeah, right? I noticed a lot of things as I thought about this more during my 
um, time when I was analyzing, that wasn't all bad right. over analyzing because there were things that I, once I started sleeping better, I did tie to, um, to not falling asleep or not sleeping through the night or waking up early. And that was if I would fall asleep um, anywhere other than my bed, so the couch or in my kids' beds after I would read to them, they would want me to lay with them until they fell asleep. And I told them I have to stop doing that. I can't do it anymore. And we can read on the couch and then, you know, I can lay with you for a minute, but that's about it. Mm -hmm. So not laying there for 20 or 30 minutes, dozing off and then going to my own bed. Um, Screen time was a big thing for me and I still have to be really careful for that. um, being aware of caffeine, that was big for me. Anything after 12 o'clock would affect me. Mm-hmm. Um, even if it was just a piece of chocolate with caffeine, that sometimes would be something to keep me up a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Um, alcohol, I could not drink um, a lot of alcohol, or if I knew I was going to, I'd have to just say to myself, okay, I might have a bad night's sleep tonight. Um, um, I did a lot of meditation for this mm. and I, I still try to maintain that at least four or five days a week because uh, mm. it really helps uh, to uh, not get so anxious about it mm. and to not think about it as much. So what, what is it about meditation in particular that you feel was helpful? Um, it was helpful to um, not get so anxious about it and to not care so much about mm-hmm. sleep and to focus on something else besides mm-hmm. work stress or family stress or yeah. um, worrying about falling asleep. Um, it just kind of gave my mind a break and yeah. um, I look forward to doing it. And I know that if I skipped time for meditation, I definitely feel a little bit more stressed and anxious, which can lead to the insomnia again. Yeah. Yeah. I think meditations are really, or any relaxation technique is really interesting topic of discussion because it can be, it's really easy to kind of get caught up in it as a concept of being a sleep effort. You know, I'm going to meditate to try and generate sleep. And if, if we go down that road, it's really unhelpful because it just leads to us putting more pressure on ourselves to sleep as we're supposed to be relaxing or as we're supposed to be meditating in the back of our brain, working, are we asleep yet? Are we feeling sleepy yet? But on the other hand, if we can use meditation or relaxation as a way to generate relaxation, as a way to build skill in adjusting our relationship to our thoughts, um, shifting attention elsewhere, um, then I think it can be really helpful. Um, A byproduct can be creating better conditions for sleep through you know, a weakened arousal system. So I think it can be a bit of a double-edged sword. You know, if, if sleep is our intention, it becomes one of those unhelpful sleep efforts. But if it's something to just promote relaxation and self-awareness and acknowledging and accepting thoughts as thoughts, that's where it can be really helpful. Yes. It was very calming once I got past that initial motivation for sleep. Yeah. When I thought of it as more of a, a calming activity and a way to 
keep stress from building up too terribly much, um, then it was better. It helps to avoid negativity in my mind too. So uh, all of those are helpful for staying calm. Yeah. Do you find that your meditation practice is helpful even when you're not actively engaged in meditation? So for example, if during the day when you're active, some uncomfortable thoughts start to come into your mind, do you feel like you now are more skilled or better able to manage your reaction to those thoughts thanks to meditation practice? Yes, definitely. So at work, if I have a stressful event, then I find myself just automatically going into some of the breathing techniques Mm. and uh, calming techniques. And I find that if I'm in a period of time where I'm not meditating or I had given it up for a week or two, that's when I get a lot more uh, stressed out and it seems to affect me where I can't bounce back to the next activity. I feel um, more stressed if I'm not doing the meditation. Yeah. Um, how, How long do you feel that, if you remember, how long were you practicing meditation before you found that, well, this is helping. This is cha- helping me change my relationship with these difficult thoughts. Um, when did you notice some positive improvements? Um, I would say it took a few weeks yeah. to really see a substantial difference. Yeah. I, and I think that it was kind of a loaded question because I was expecting <laughs> you to give me that answer. I would have been surprised if you'd have told me, oh yeah, just a few nights and a few days of practice. And then I, then I was all good. Because relaxation really or um, is, is a skill, right? And it's something that we have to learn to do. And it takes a lot of practice. And oh, I- absolutely. I would start with just five minutes and then mm. worked my way up to 10 and then 12 and then eventually 20 minutes or so. I didn't yeah. really go beyond that. But it did take a few weeks to really see a substantial benefit with the stress reduction. Yeah. And I think that's another area where we can kind of get caught up as well. Like, first of all, as I just touched upon, if it, if we're doing something in a bid to generate sleep or sleepiness, it's probably not that helpful, but also when people try relaxation techniques, um, if they're new to them, we might just try them a couple of times. Oh no, this isn't helping. And then kind of move on to the next thing, just decide that it's not working, but it's kind of like a skill, you know, it's like, if one day we decide, oh, I want to learn how to play the piano, we probably wouldn't expect to be able to play the piano really well after just two days of practice. We recognize that it's going to take a lot of practice and relaxation is exactly the same. Yeah, it is. I agree. Yeah. So I think earlier on you were talking about, you know, the the thinking side of things, how your thoughts and your beliefs um, have have since changed since you were struggling with sleep. Um, Were there any specific thoughts or beliefs that you can recognize now looking back that were maybe not helpful, not that accurate, and that might have even been perpetuating this sleep disruption? Um, I am going to go back to, uh, yeah, that hormone imbalance because it Mm. seemed to happen, um, so frequently every month for a couple of days. And 
um, that was pretty consistent, plus the the weaning. Um, and then being able to sleep once I um, would have kids uh, uh, or mm-hmm. I would uh, or be pregnant. Um, uh, I think um, that it was really uh, just that that thought like I had just convinced myself so much that that there was a problem and that everything that I was trying wasn't working and the anxiety would build more and more. And then I would believe more and more since the things I were trying weren't working. Then it just was, it was so frustrating until I found your site and listened to a couple of the podcasts. Yeah. And I think, I don't know if we've touched upon this yet, but when we were talking before, before this, before recording this episode, Uh we were talking about the role of like sleeping pills. I would say it was every single night and it, and it started as, a quarter of a pill and then a half and then a whole one and then two or three or four of them Mm -hmm. just to get to sleep. So it was more and more and more. And then my um, brain would be so foggy during the day that I couldn't, uh, um, couldn't function. And I um, knew that there had to be a better solution. It seemed like everybody could sleep, but me, Um, but, but um, yeah, it just seemed to be more and more of these, of these um, sleeping pills. And then I thought, there's uh, people don't have to take these. There's got to be some other way. Yeah. And, how, uh-huh. how did you get to that point where you maybe had this realization or a changing your belief that, huh, maybe I don't need these pills to generate sleep, or maybe I can sleep without them. Maybe I can sleep well without them. Um, I had a, uh, refill of one of them. And when I got the refill, I, um, had a different shaped pill, I think. And I had two or three nights where they weren't working at all. Mm -hmm. And I thought they had to give me the wrong medicine. They had to give me an expired medicine. This can't be right. I'm going to go down to the pharmacy. And that's what I did. I mm-hmm. had woken up in the uh, middle of the night and went there when they opened. It was um, a pharmacy where they opened really early or were up all night. I can't remember mm-hmm. for sure, but I went down there and I took that pill and I, I said, you had to give me the wrong ones. These aren't working. I haven't slept in three days and I've had to take more. And, and I'm like, uh, this is, this is wrong. You have to, you have to change it. And so she took the pills and she's like, I just opened this bottle and here you go. And it was very unpleasant because I hadn't slept that entire night and mm-hmm. went and, and, yelled at this pharmacist and I got home and I'm like, what the heck just happened? What did I just do? I, I accused them of giving me this wrong medicine. And, and, um, I got home and I, I just thought that that was so wrong. Like I have to make a change. I can't be going down to the pharmacy and telling them that they're giving right. me the wrong stuff. But, but, um, that was a turning point for me. Um, when I thought about what I did and, and um, how ridiculous that was. So that was just prior to the pandemic, maybe a month or two. And I had 
um, decided I have to, I have to figure it out. I have to find something that's going to work and had talked to my doctor about it. And when I thought more about the things that she was saying, like, you have to get out of bed, you have to make your bed a place for sleep and that's all. And um, a lot of the CBI techniques, once I had tied them in and watched enough YouTube videos on CBTI and found your site and, and listened to some of the other women, that's when I knew I could make a change. Mm -hmm. And, um, but it was that, yeah, that one trip to the pharmacy where I was like, this is, this is wrong. There's got to be something (laughs) different that I can do. So Mm -hmm. did, did they give you the wrong pills or was it just the fact they were a different shape? It's just just that they weren't working it anymore. If you take them enough and they stop working, they lose their efficacy. And that was really what the problem was. So no, they didn't. Wow. It's amazing the things that these coincidences or these events, these random events, they can kind of enter our lives, but just be real light bulb moments and just change our whole way of thinking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I had gone cold Turkey after I was up to numerous pills at night and just said, okay, this is the day I'm going to take them away and Mm -hmm. do all of these CBI techniques. And once I started to feel really sleepy, even just after a week or so, yeah. that's when I knew. Wow. But it was definitely listening to the stories about others that um, that really made me know that I could get better. And so yeah. once I knew yeah. that, then, then I wasn't uh, trying to figure out a problem that really wasn't there. Yeah, I think it can be so powerful to hear other people's stories. And that's why, again, I'm so grateful for you coming on to share yours because from person to person, insomnia is pretty much unique. You know, the, out, the struggle is the, the hallmark of chronic insomnia is actually the same from person to person. So when we recognize our own experience in that of others and we hear how people have kind of transformed their relationship with sleep and are sleeping better, regardless of how long they've been struggling with sleep. It could just be so inspiring and so motivational and so reassuring. And it it can be that impetus to abandon all these efforts and this search and that ongoing detective work and to just really focus attention on things that are helpful, things that do work. Right. Yeah. If I can just help one person, to not have to use any type of a sleeping pill, then it'll all be worth it for sure. Because I struggled for 17 years. Yeah. Not that I never have struggles anymore, but I'm so much better and I know that it's going to get better. Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned that because it is important to realize that there are always going to be some difficult nights. Everyone has some difficult nights from time to time. um, And it can become easy to have either unrealistic expectations to to believe that implementing some techniques will give us perfect sleep 100% of nights for the rest of our life. And it can be easy to worry as soon as we have a difficult night that, uh uh-oh, the insomnia is back. Now I have to restart this search. Maybe these techniques aren't helpful. Whereas the fact is we just had a difficult night and everyone experiences them from time to time. It's completely normal and to be expected. Right. I was going to tell you about um, a period of time earlier this year where I had a, a little bit of a setback. Yeah. Um, I 
was skiing and I had torn my ACL, which is one of the major knee ligaments Mm -hmm. and it required a surgery and I tore it on January 15th. And they like you to wait a while after the injury to let all of the swelling go down before you have the surgery. So Mm -hmm. I waited about a month after and part of the recovery process is uh, both after the injury in the initial days, um, you're super tired and your body's worn down. And so uh, it takes a lot of energy to heal. So I was laying in my bed with my leg up and Mm -hmm. I had to do the same thing in the post-operative period too. And so I'd have to elevate it and I couldn't really turn and I couldn't um, really move around. It kind of had to be in one spot because it was braced and um, I'm usually a side sleeper or a stomach sleeper. And I was kind of worried about this, especially because I had to take uh, pain medication for about three days or so afterward. And I was um, filled with a lot of negative emotions about Mm -hmm. the injury. And I was scared and I thought, how is this going to heal? And um, I know the techniques to fix that knee injury are different from um, my college soccer days when people would have it. Uh, they were a lot more immobilized. But um, I was thinking about to the the people who used to, who did have that injury, um, and uh, you know it's twenty years later, it's, uh, and then I had that injury. And um, I was just anxious, even though the techniques were different and they like to get you up and moving a little bit faster. I did Mm -hmm. go through a period of time where um, my sleep was definitely affected until I didn't have to brace it at night and I didn't have to wrap my leg at night and it it did start to get better. But I I did um, have some difficulty going to sleep, waking up early and some of the things that I had before with the insomnia. But I reviewed some of the techniques and re-implemented them. So I told my husband, I said, I need need some more boring books. I took those ones about grass and farming back to the library. And so he got a, about a dozen of them. And I, once I could get around uh, without my crutches after my surgery, um, I would go downstairs and read the book. And it only took about four nights or so before I did the um, sleep deprivation technique again and got back on track. But uh, I knew that it would get better. So even when I was filled with all these negative emotions and um, negative uh, thinking about the injury and being mad at myself for for um, slipping on the ice and and falling backward and tearing my knee up, um, um, going back to my meditation and then the, the sleep deprivation, getting out of bed, it worked and it worked very quickly. But I think the biggest thing was I knew it would work because it worked mm-hmm. before and I wasn't so anxious about it. Yeah. You know, I, I think it's amazing how, our, our kind of whole relationship with sleep changes once we go through that struggle, because I think for someone who has never struggled with sleep or ever had any issue with sleep, um, if you said to them, okay, let's say I need to have surgery and I'm going through the recovery process and I have some difficult nights, I experience some sleep disruption. The person will probably say, well, of course, you're going to have some sleep disruption. 
you had a you had a big accident you had some surgery you have to recover everything's there's a lot of changes going on there um but when we struggle with sleep we can become really concerned by that sleep disruption maybe see it as something else we have to deal with on top of our recovery or um, it's a sign that the insomnia is now coming back the insomnia has seen this opportunity to come back into our life and and disrupt our sleep again um but i think that the great thing about these techniques, as you just touched upon, is you know they work. So you know that during this period of recovery from surgery or if we're unwell, then we listen to our bodies, we rest, we recuperate, and then when we're able to do so, if we are still struggling with sleep, then we know we can just reach into our kind of our metaphorical back pocket and just re-implement those, te- those techniques that have worked for us before. Right. Yeah, it it definitely worked um, when I had my surgery, for sure. Uh, but I think knowing that it would work um, was a big part of it. And yeah, sure, it was miserable for those four days. Mm. And I got out my pen and paper and wrote down my, my times. It only took a couple of nights of writing down my times and getting out of bed um, when I wasn't sleeping and, and up by six o'clock every day, mm-hmm. um, it didn't take long, but it's miserable for a few days, but it gets you back on track. And so I'm very yeah. thankful for that. Yeah. It, it's a difficult surgery. I remember my wife actually had it. Um, I think it was a while back now, like 10 years ago and she had the okay. ACL reconstruction and I know that it is a difficult recovery journey. Um, so yeah, I, I I trust that you're doing doing better now. How's the yes, uh, it's yeah, I'm uh, four months post op now, mm-hmm. and it's um, nice and strong. It doesn't give out, and nice. um, I think part of the recovery has been um, being appreciative of my body and um, my health, and I'll have this motivation to be stronger going forward and to avoid the negativity because quite honestly, in the the week or two after the injury, and then a week or two after the surgery, my thoughts were so negative and it just seemed to affect the healing part of it. Mm -hmm. And so um, that's where my meditation came in to be, to be calm and not think about the negative part and think about the positive parts like, well, next ski, next ski season, I'm going to be super strong. And this is (laughs) never going to happen again because I'm going to be so much stronger than I was going in. Um, and so, um, not having those negative thoughts, um, can be really helpful just like they were for the insomnia. Once I got rid of the negative thoughts and thinking I'm never going to be able to go to sleep then, um, then, uh, I was able to go to sleep once I didn't have a lot of that negative thinking about it. Um, and it was true with my surgery recovery too. I like how you linked the two because I was just about to do that myself. You know, it's, uh-huh. it's amazing how through adversity we can become stronger. You know, we we go through these really difficult periods of our life, but I think we can emerge from them stronger, um, change in a way, in a more positive way from those experiences. Yes, definitely. All right, Jennifer. Well, I I really appreciate you setting aside some time and coming on today. I would just like to fit in one last question if you have the time for for it. Um, (laughs) It's a question I like to ask everyone at the end of these episodes. um, And it's this. If someone with chronic insomnia is listening and feels as though they've tried everything, 
that they're beyond help and that they just can't do anything to improve their sleep, what would you tell them? I would tell them to study the CBTI and learn all the techniques, become familiar with them, whether you believe it'll work or not, and then give yourself a certain amount of time, say a week or two weeks, and follow the rules to a T and see how you do. Um, That worked for me. And do the CBTI for a week or two and see how you do, because it didn't take long once I once I knew it would work and um, knowing that I wasn't alone and that other people had similar struggle was really helpful for me as well. So yeah, commit to it for a certain amount of time and, and I think it'll work. That's great. I think that's a really positive note to end on. So thank you again so much for coming onto the podcast, Jennifer. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Insomnia Coach podcast. If you're ready to implement evidence-based cognitive and behavioral techniques to improve your sleep, but think you might need some additional support and guidance, I would love to help. There are two ways we can work together. First, you can get my online coaching course. This is the most popular option. My course combines sleep education with individualized coaching and is guaranteed to improve your sleep. You will learn new ways of thinking about sleep and implement better sleep habits over a period of eight weeks. This gives you time to build sleep confidence and notice results without feeling overwhelmed. You can get the course and start right now at insomniacoach.com forward slash online. I also offer a phone coaching package where we start with a one hour call. This can be voice only or video, your choice and we come up with an initial two-week plan that will have you implementing cognitive and behavioral techniques that will lead to long-term improvements in your sleep. You get unlimited email-based support and guidance for two weeks after the call, along with a half-hour follow-up call at the end of the two weeks. You can book the phone coaching package at insomniacoach.com forward slash phone. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Insomnia Coach podcast. I'm Martin Reed, and as always, I'd like to leave you with this important reminder. You can sleep.